but uh, there's just so much information. Yeah, I brought, like maps and shit. <laughs> Dude, you're yeah. This is definitely <laughs> like there's there was just so much information about everything. Yeah, that's the biggest. And there's conflicting dates. Yes. With some of these. Yes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of 4.30 in the morning. This is your boy, Ben. And Pat is back as well. How you doing today, Pat? I'm back in the studio. How are you doing today? I'm back in the studio, too, for episode 91. Oh, yeah, 91. Do you have anybody for 91? A player I really used to like, and I feel bad for him because his, he just couldn't get over injuries was Stefan Tuitt, number 91. He was a very good He was a very good player, very good defensive tackle. Yeah, I hardly remember him. He was great. When he played... He made an impact for Steelers, but he was just injury prone. He could he had a bad, I think, was it knee trouble? I don't know what he had, but he could never stay on the field. Sure. That's always the roughest. Yep. I don't know who the hell the Browns got for 91. I'm assuming they have somebody. Maybe Isaiah Thomas. I don't know. I really have no idea. I don't know if there's a 91 on Pittsburgh right now. That's kind of a weird number. It's like 90 is a popular number, 95 is a popular number. Is Larry Ogunjobi number 91 now? Oh, my God. Or he might be 99. Help me, Larry Ogunjobi. You're my <laughs> only hope. You know, I was kind of, I don't know, I didn't know if I liked that signing at first, but I really like it now. He's been really good for Pittsburgh. See, been, he's been great. He's a, now he's, what, been, he's been fantastic. What is What does Pittsburgh run? A they run a 3-4 sometimes. Most of the time, because they run he a doesn't four. he doesn't fit in a three four unless you're running them. What do they run him as a defensive end? They run him as a tackle. As a tackle, he's yes. in the middle. Yes. The thing with Larry Ogunjobi is he's a very scheme oriented player. Yeah, certain packages and stuff. So depending on the assignment, he's either really good or he's really bad. I mean, he, he's out there all the time. Now the so thing they're is, they're playing him a lot. Yes, when he was with the Browns, he was getting so many more snaps than any other defensive tackle in the league. He had the highest percentage by far of defensive tackle to snap ratio per game, which means he was out on the field an awful lot. Now, part of that was a depth issue, but with him, now he's been in the league for, what, six years now. He's a third-round pick. Pretty decent player, all told. He's gonna, he has mm-hmm. a decent career. The problem with him is the things that he's good at pop. When he gets into the backfield, it's like, holy shit, he just blew right by that guy. Yep. He can never, he's never been able to stick it up in the run. He's not big, really he's not big enough to handle it in the run, but he's not good against the run. Was really, I don't know if he's improving at all. Was really, he's really good at setting up linebackers. He's really good at shooting gaps. Yeah, he's getting better at like that. that. He's, he's getting better at he, that. And that's that's really helped um, Miles Jack and Devin Bush. Sure. But there have been says, it, it's like you like him because he's he, – He's a great story, number one, but it's just there's always, at least when he was with the Browns, there's always something else going on. It was always, well, he'll make that sack, but he'll disappear for half the game. A part of that, too, is because they put him on the field. He was on the field all the fucking time. Right, seen he's seen like, like 85% of the snaps of the defensive tackle. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's, that's the kind rough. of percentages that we're talking. So, I don't know. He's a decent player. Now, we don't even know if he actually wears it, 91, but... It's either 91 or 99. I, I cannot remember. So he seems like more of a 99 type of guy. Probably. I think he was wearing like 65 or something weird when he was with the Browns or 66. He was wearing something weird. Anyways. Anyways. What do you got for news, man? I've got three. I had as many as six, but I kind of willed it down today. How many did you bring today, sir? I have three as well. We probably have the same news story. I don't know. I honestly think we might not have the same news stories this week. So what do you got today, man? Our first is from our favorite, UPI on News. Uh-oh. Squirrel. You got this one? No. Okay. I haven't read this one, but I feel like it's going to be really funny. Squirrel knocks power out 
to one-third of Tennessee Company's customers. Yikes. Utility officials in Tennessee Town said nearly one-third of customers lost power when a squirrel came in contact with substation equipment. Dixon Electric System in Dixon said in a Twitter post that many of the customers lost power for a brief time Tuesday when a cute little squirrel entered a substation and created a whole lot of chaos. The company said the power was only out for a short time. We don't always lose power to nearly a third of our customers all at the same time, but when we do, it's usually related to an uninvited guest inside our substation. The company tweeted. So they said it's usually because of an uninvited guest, which we would assume is an animal. Yes. Why are there not better measures in place by now? Exactly. That's kind of weird. Now, granted, squirrels can get into anything, but at the same time. Yeah, I feel like a substation should be pretty heavily protected. You would think so. Now, or at least the components, like the critical components. You can get away with leaving a lot of that shit exposed. But Right. I don't know, that's a pretty good one. That was EPI Odd News. It's pretty funny. That would, I mean, if I was the owner of this company, this would piss me off. Like, sure. Does this happen all the time? It kind of sounds like it might. Like, now, they're trying to say, they're, they're trying to downplay it, but if you're public relations, of course you're going to try to downplay this a little bit. Like, cute little animal? Nah. I would I would do everything I can to keep these bitches out. Yeah. There are these small power right. companies out there that got, like, competitors, like, bigger competitors. Sure. If a fucking squirrel's an actual liability. Brings you down? Are you kidding me? With the price of, of electricity these days i'm probably going probably going somewhere else yeah you know definitely. what i mean anyways on to my on to my first one now this one comes from our favorite fox news and <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that is our favorite or not but we're gonna go with it and this one i gotta pull a picture up because this news story we need to get this we gotta get back on the facebook we gotta start doing that again because the news story doesn't do anything without without the picture wide neck man known for viral mugshots, is arrested again in Florida. I've seen this guy. A Florida man is up to his neck in mugshots after the viral sensation found himself back in jail for a third time Tuesday when the state revoked his bond for a prior arrest, a report said. Charles Dion McDowell, 31, had his bond revoked related to the charges of fleeing and eluding police, possession of meth and cocaine, and other drug offenses. From an arrest earlier last year, in Escambia County, the Pensacola News Journal reported. But McDowell was arrested a second time just two days later in Alabama for allegedly leading police on a high-speed chase. He was charged with eluding police second-degree marijuana possession, driving with a revoked license, reckless driving, and improper lane usage. He was released after posing for a new mugshot and posting a $5,400 bond. McDowell's mugshot became a viral sensation when the Escambia County Sheriff's Office posted it on its Facebook page in November. The ensuing popularity not only spawned a slew of neck jokes... On the internet, but made McDowell internet famous. His Instagram account, Damn Wide Neck, boasts <laughs> 1.3 million followers. <laughs> Records show he paid the $57,000 bond and was released from jail November 19th. So, you've seen the pictures. We gotta get this picture up. I've seen this. This, this guy's been around on the internet for at least a year or two now. He's got the biggest fucking yeah, neck. Yeah, he's got the biggest ass neck you've ever seen in like, your life. It's like his head. Like, it's an anomaly. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like a tree trunk. And it's like, a, his head's like the small part of the tree trunk. Yeah. It's like the next, like the wide ass, like the bottom part. Yeah. It's fucking ridiculous. We gotta get those pictures up on Facebook. It, the story doesn't do the pictures justice. But I guess he's doing like rap videos and shit. Yeah, so don't ask me his name because I don't get on social media very often. But I've sure. seen him in videos doing these this rap shit, I think, with this crazy the skinniest white dude 
you would ever meet in your life. Yeah. Like he had, maybe he's in his low twenties, maybe his high teens, this sure. kid, but he's so skinny. He's so white. He's damn near transparent. And he's got like a really skinny neck. The skinniest ass neck you've ever seen in your life. And he's in this skinny dude in fucking wide neck in these videos. It's ridiculous looking. And, uh, they got, I guess they got a group together. Now I don't have this in my news story, but it's called the next best thing. <laughs> But it's like N A C or N E C K S. Yeah. Next best thing. That's funny. I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny though. That's good. That's a good one. This guy he can't keep himself out of trouble though. I mean, that wide neck must be fucking with his head. Now we it's talked about that be. on the last episode. The the people that like feel your yeah, shape. Bigger, yep. I wonder if you can feel your neck size to see if someone's gonna be a criminal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Anyways, that was pretty dumb. But, that's a good uh, one. That's all you got. What, do you, what else you got? This is another one from our favorite UPI on news. He's at it again. Uh-oh. David Rush is God at it again. Idaho man throws paper plane nearly 50 feet for Guinness World Record. An Idaho man with 250 Guinness World Records added another record to his name when he threw a paper airplane 49.21 feet and hit a target. David Rush, who has been breaking Guinness World Records for years to promote STEM education, said it took him several attempts and had multiple close calls before he was finally able to get one of his thrown paper airplanes to land in a bucket 49.2 feet away. Rush's throw beat the goal of 19.68 feet set by Guinness World Records, earning him the title for the farthest distance to hit a target with a paper aircraft. The feat brought Rush's total Guinness World Records to 251. Now, I was thinking about this one because I did read this one. I didn't bring it to the table today. This is kind of bullshit because this was a target attempt. So meaning he released it at a certain point to fly to a certain point. Yes. 49.12 feet. This wasn't even close. It's nowhere near the record. How the hell do you land on that distance? I thought the same thing. Like, that's very weird. It's like... Like, I have seen people throw paper airplanes insanely far. A lot farther than 49.12 feet. Maybe hitting the target is the point. You gotta have aim. I don't know. But if you're setting up a target, how the hell do you land on 49.12 feet as a distance? Yeah, I don't understand. I think David Rush owes us an answer. I think he does. David Rush, if you're listening, please tweet us at 30 and let us know what's going on with this. Because I feel like if there is a David Rush record that we can take on and beat, this this is it. Like, this is our opportunity. I literally watched a video of a guy throwing a paper airplane during a football game. Sure. He went all the way from the nosebleeds and landed all the way onto the field. Yeah. Like, that's got to be a, a record right there. That can happen. Now, I think we might need to get Timothy involved in this one. Sure. But I feel like Tim could beat this record. I think so. And I feel like we could do... We could probably do 65 feet or should we do like 63.78 feet just because david rush is doing 49.12 feet like that, that's weird it's weird yeah, is it, it not is, weird that is weird I, I i understand where you're coming from here so anyways is that all you got with that one that's all i got with that one what else you got all right i got one this one actually uh, somebody was talking about this one at work today so i'm gonna bring this one to the table this one comes from the new york post it's actually pretty interesting archaeologists discover mummies with solid gold tongues in Egypt. Mm. Archaeologists in Egypt have uncovered several ancient mummies with solid gold tongues in their mouths. The bizarre finding was made when preserved corpses were unearthed at the Quiznia Necropolis in central in the central Nile Delta, about 40 miles north of Cairo, dating between 300 BC and 640 BC. Experts investigating tombs at the site found several mummies with gold chips shaped like human tongues in their mouths, said Dr. Mustafa Waziri, Secretary General of the Supreme Council for Archaeology, in a press release. 
According to Waziri, several mummies were discovered with gold on the bone directly beneath the linen wraps used during the mummification process. The mummies were said to be in a poor state of preservation. So think about this real quick. 2,500 years ago, however old this is, you're going to get mummified. Now, I feel like this is something you have to set up in advance. Like you don't just like, maybe, maybe it happened this way, but I feel like people don't just die and then they're like, oh, I guess we're going to mummify this person. I feel like it's something that you kind of set up in advance. Yeah, for sure. So it was... I feel like not everyone was mummified back then. Not everyone was. And if you're getting the gold tongue treatment, there's got to be something special going you're on there. Probably somebody of high status. Now, these mummies were in a poor state of preservation, but we've had plenty of mummies that have been in a very high state of preservation. Mm-hmm. So were they skimping on the preservation aspect of this to get the gold tongue? It's a possibility. Like, is this like, could you imagine, like, you're an ancient Egyptian, you're a mummifier. Mummifist, I don't know what the hell they call the person that did the mummification. Embalmer, I guess embalmer is probably the, the proper term. Sure. And you're like, okay, well, these are the different packages we have, we have, av- <laughs> <laughs> we have available. I mean, I feel like when you look at some of these mummies, that had to have been, there had to have been actual discussions about this type of shit. Sure. Like, we can get you the gold tongue, but there's no guarantee you're going to last that long. It's like, you know, it's like people today, they set up their arrangements. Like, when they get to the old age, they sure. set up their arrangements before sure. they die. They have things set, yeah. stone, ready to go. There's no reason why they couldn't have done that back then. I feel like they had to have. Now, they say, I'm not going to read the rest of the story, but there's a lot more going on with this one. And I guess they found a lot of other golden, like, artifacts within these these tombs or whatever. And they think, now, they think, and we don't know what the hell they think. They think that the the golden tongue was to help the people kind of, like, communicate with Osiris, who would be the, the lord of the underworld in the Egyptian mythology. So I think that the golden tongue had to have had something to do with that. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I mean. Now, they think also that the golden tongue was applied after death. Like, it wasn't something like they weren't walking around alive with golden tongues. Right. I don't know how that would work. I mean, you could dip your tongue in molten gold. Like, mm-hmm. you ever see Game of Thrones where they pour the gold yeah, over the guy's that's, head? that's very rough. It probably wouldn't do very good. No. But... Or it could be like a grill. Maybe it's like a grill. Yeah, sure. It could be. Maybe I they don't know. maybe they make they used clay and they didn't made a mold of their tongue. Yeah, kinda like when you and then they poured you the have to get gold. braces. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Very interesting though. <laughs> Golden interesting. tongues. So we'll have to keep an eye on that one, see if anything more pops up with that. But that's a pretty pretty interesting story all told. It is interesting. Out we, of Egypt. We like the we like those kind. Oh yeah. Archaeology. Yeah. Anyways, what I else got, you got? I've got another archaeology. Well, I hope to God you don't have the other one I have. I, I, bet you, I bet you you do. I hope not. I saw this one on Facebook. This is out of the Daily Wire. Is that yours? It could be. Shipwreck found at bottom of Norway's largest lake could be 700 years old, archaeologists believe. No shit. Archaeologists believe they have found the shipwreck of a possible medieval vessel in the largest lake in Norway, the Norwegian Defense Research Establishment revealed earlier this month. The shipwreck is dated sometime between 1300 and 1850, meaning it could potentially be from the Middle Ages. It was discovered by researchers who were searching for surplus ammunition and explosives previously dumped in the lake. Because this is a freshwater lake, the wood in such a ship is preserved. Norwegian University of Science and Technology marine archaeologist Oivind Odegaard told Science Norway, The metal may rust, and the ship may lose its structure, but the wood is intact. A similar ship to the one we now found would not have survived for more than a few decades it had gone down on the coast, he added. Scientists have been mapping the bottom of the lake in search for explosives and ammo that have been dumped between the 1940s and the 1970s by an ammunition factory. While analyzing sonar images, they spotted what they believed to be a stern of a ship. The wood ship was located 1,350 feet deep in Lake Mahosa, or Majosa. The research believe it is 
is 33 feet long, based on the observation that the stern of the ship was distinct from the bow. Archaeologists believe that it had been built sometime after 1300. Viking ships are Viking ships are much more likely to be identical on both ends and would have come from before 1300. The outlet notes other features distinguishing this ship from a Viking one included having a central rudder, while the Viking ship rudder or steering oar would likely be on the starboard side of the hull. It gets into it's it's a long article. It gets into a lot more, but that's basically the gist. Sure, it's very interesting. It's pretty for cool. Sure. It sucks. It's not during the Viking time though. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, but still. Yeah, definitely. The Vikings. That's an interesting era, but they kind of cheated, honestly, because they they made their money by targeting monks. Basically, like there was a bunch of like outposts, like monasteries and abbots and whatever abbeys. I guess it would be an abbey. And when they first got started, they were like, "Hey, these guys have a lot of money just sitting around, and they're protecting all these like religious artifacts that are all gold." And the monks couldn't fight, so they're, that's how they kind of got their start. Mm. Very interesting. Interesting. So that's pretty cool. Uh, where'd you get that one from again? That's from the Daily Wire. Daily Wire. Okay, there you go. I've got one more real quick one. It's going to also be an archaeological uh, article. We got a lot of archaeology and history on this episode. I'm yeah, we do. This one's going to come from uh, the BBC. Our favorite. Yes. Ben's favorite for sure. Um, <laughs> gold coin proves fake Roman emperor was real. Think about that. That's pretty crazy. Damn. The gold coin bearing the name of Sponsian and his portrait was found more than 300 years ago in Transylvania, once a far-flung outpost of the Roman Empire. Believed to be fake, it has been locked away in a museum cupboard. Now scientists say scratch marks visible under the microscope prove it was in circulation 2,000 years ago. Wow. Professor Paul Pearson at University of College London, who led the research, told BBC News that he was astonished by the discovery. What we have found is an emperor. He was a figure thought to have been fake and written off by the experts, he said. But we think he is real, and we think that he had a role in history. <clears throat> the coin at the center of the story was amongst a small hoard discovered in 1713. It was thought to have been a genuine Roman coin until the mid-19th century, when experts suspected that they might have been produced by forgers of the time because of their crude design. The final blow came in 1863 when Henry Cohen, the leading coin expert of the time at the Bibliothèque Nationale de France, considered the problem for his great catalog of Roman coins. He said that they were not only modern fakes, but poorly made and ridiculously imagined. Other specialists agreed, and to this day, Sponsian had been dismissed in scholarly catalogs. But Professor Pearson suspected otherwise when he saw photographs of the coin while researching it for the book about history of the Roman Empire. He could make out scratches on a surface that he thought might have been produced by the coin being in circulation. So basically, I'm going to sum it up real quick. They ended up doing more research on the Sponsian guy, who had just been kind of like a name that was thrown out there. And he was technically considered, according to these guys, a Roman emperor. The problem was, is where he was at the time. He was a general, like a like a Roman general that got kind of, like, his area got kind of cut off, like, pretty significantly. And he was off on his own for, like, a significant amount of time with a significant amount of people kind of under his command. Sure. So, basically, to install some, like, civility, he basically got crowned himself as emperor. I don't <laughs> know if he crowned himself or he got crowned, but he made himself emperor of, of Roman emperor of this little area, basically. But they started printing off currency just to kind of keep the economy going because they were kind of cut off from the main Roman emperor. <laughs> and back at this time, too, the Roman Empire didn't always have one emperor. They would have, like, two, three, sometimes even, like, more than that. They kind of shared the reign, basically. Sure. So that's kind of ties in with that. But it is pretty interesting. That is Especially considering how quickly he was dismissed from history. And now Sponsian, he's back on the books. Sounds like, so. a, sounds like an awesome guy, you know, he got. Yeah. <laughs> 
very it's very interesting for sure. Anyways, that's all I got with uh, with sponsoring. So you got any more news stories? I do not. I'm out of news. Do you have any more? Nope. I'm all set with news stories. All right. Are we ready? Let's do it. Episode 91. On to our main topic. Pat, this is going to be your episode. This is going to be my episode, I guess, but this is Ben's <laughs> idea. We're going to be getting into like ancient empires or yeah. ancient civilizations. And realistically, we did not discuss a plan for this episode <laughs> at all. So I have no idea what Ben's about to talk about. He doesn't know what the hell I'm about to talk about. I mean, it's basically every episode. So Ben was going to, he, he suggested the idea of ancient empires and we didn't put any, or not even ancient empires, just, just, just like world empires. Yeah. I don't know. I and thought it would be interesting. We put no parameters around this. <laughs> so I've got three that I'm going to talk about. I've got I've got three. One I know a decent amount about. The other two, Pat might have to help me out. Yeah. Now I did study this in college. I got twenty seven credit hours of history under my belt. There you go. So I do have a little bit of knowledge. <laughs> I did get A's in all those classes too. So that took one A minus in East Asian history, which upper pressure was a dick. But damn. Outside of that, I did really well. So I know a little bit about this type of shit. But we're gonna do a lot of learning today, aren't we, Ben? So Pat is the expert. Do you so, want to you want to get started, Pat? Sure. I'm gonna dive right in. Do it. Have you ever heard of the Macedonian Empire? Yeah, it sounds familiar. Have you ever heard of Alexander the Great? Yes. This would be his empire. Awesome. Now, to sum up world history real quick, we always think about the Greeks and we think about the Romans when it comes to ancient Europe. Mm-hmm. The Greeks were first, then the Romans kind of came in afterwards, but they did coexist in some form or fashion for quite a while. But the bridge between ancient Greece being the true like Mediterranean power and the Roman Empire becoming the true Mediterranean power was the Macedonian Empire. This is really the bridge. Now, was this an era when the Roman Empire wasn't an empire, it's just a Roman Republic? Correct. Okay. Now, I consider my the biggest issue with Rome is a transition from an empire to a republic. Sure, it's significant in terms of the way that history treats it. That being said, the Romans were the Romans. Where they were organized as a republic or as an empire, it was still very much Rome. Sure. The Romans. So while I said Roman Empire, the Roman Empire didn't actually take place until a few hundred years after Macedonia basically collapsed on itself. But the Roman Republic was still in full swing. Okay. Now, the Roman Republic, according to history, can be traced all the way back to Romulus and Remus, the two brothers that were taken in by the wolf or whatever. I don't know if you ever heard that myth. Mm. And there's like the seven kings of Rome and then it turned into a republic after that. Mm. So it took a while, but... Pretty much the Roman Republic was pretty much Italy. The empire is where it started to expand pretty drastically, pretty quickly. Gotcha. And like the last hundred years of the Republic is when it turns into a more of an imperial force, more or less. Sure. Now, before we get into all that, though, we got to get into the Greeks real quick. The Greeks were city-states. Sparta, Thebes, Corinth, Athens, some of the islands were kind of their own city-states, etc. Now, the Greek city-states could like unify and fight off mostly the Persians back when Xerxes was pushing into Europe. Like in the movie 300, I don't know if you've seen that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that whole thing happened, like the Spartans were able to unite with the Athenians and the other groups. Macedonia was kind of, sort of treated as part of the Greek culture, but not really. They were to the north of Greece. So they were up in the mountains in the Balkans. Now, they were kind of like the buffer zone, basically, between the real problem, which was everything north of Greece... And the Greeks, who were kind of like the civilized culture people. So the Macedonian kingdom was around forever. It was always kind of sitting up there. And even today, there's a country called Macedonia. It's kind of this, like, sectioned-off mountain.
mountainous place north of Greece, basically. But Philip II was the real one that kind of brought Macedonia together as a force and started forcing his way into Greece. Now, Greece was never an empire. There's never, like, one ruler of Greece or anything like that. There's a lot of loosely affiliated city-states with a lot of disconnect between them. Very easy to kind of move in if you can, if you know what you're doing with a military. You can kind of sort of section it off and take one at a time pretty easily without too much interference from the other ones, as long as you have, like, a strategy. Mm -hmm. So, by the time Macedonia really kind of took off, this would be in the 4th century B.C., so this would be kind of after the Peloponnesian Wars, after... Now, I don't know if this if any of this shit makes sense. Like, I'm going to be talking about shit, and the listeners are going to be like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Dude, but, we're all learning here. God, there's so much we could talk about. You're going to have to tell me to shut up eventually. No, keep going, man. But, and after the, the Peloponnesian Wars, Greece kind of settled down in terms of, like, the chaotic war. But there was still, like, Sparta was still around. Athens was still around. And Athens was kind of established itself as, like, the head of the Greeks. But again, there really wasn't a head of the Greeks. So Philip II recognized what was going on. Now, he spent a lot of time studying in Thebes as a kid where he learned a lot of the Greek military tactics because the Greeks used the phalanx, which was a spear and the shield. And if you've seen 300, you, you can kind of see mm-hmm. what they were doing. Now, what he did was, long story short, he took the spears and made them twice as long. And really, the Greeks were like, shit, we didn't think about this. <laughs> so by the time that he decided to start his conquest south, he was going from Macedonia in the north into Greece. He was pretty much a military force that couldn't really be fucked with. Sure. So pretty quickly, he started taking over different parts of Greece. He'd take over a city-state at the time, kind of. And I'm kind of summarizing in broad strokes. So if you're a history expert out there, don't fucking come kill me. <laughs> because I'm just trying to get the idea across. So eventually, he had his eyes always, though, east to Persia, which would be situated... Persia is Iran, essentially. But the Persian Empire had expanded across most of the Middle East, pushing into Turkey. Now, the eastern or the western coast of Turkey was also part of Greece at different times in history. It was considered part of the Greek area. Like the city of Troy, the ancient city of Troy from that movie called Troy with Achilles and all that shit, Mm -hmm. the Iliad and Odyssey. Very good movie. That would have been in Turkey, where they found that city. They thought it was a mythical city, but that was actually in Turkey. But it's still along, was it the Aegean Sea or whatever? It's still along the same area. So Philip II's plan was to push into Persia, and he wanted to take on the Persian Empire. Now, he needed the might of Greece as it existed to do that, but that was basically his plan. So what ended up happening is Philip II died pretty quickly. Now, he was most likely poisoned. Or no, he was assassinated. Philip II was assassinated by, I think his guards assassinated him. Kind of at like the height of his power. Like he was getting ready to really ramp up. He was assassinated. Wasn't Philip II one of the ones we did in our assassination episode? You know what? I think we did. I think it is. I think it is. God damn it. I think we did do Philip I think we did talk about this. Fuck. I think I already talked about this on the podcast. I don't know if I did. One of us did. It sounds I think one of us did. I think one of us did. I got to re-listen to the episode now. But what ended up happening is when he got assassinated, his son Alexander, who at that point was, I think, what, 20, 19 or 20, who was super highly intelligent, super capable as like a leader, ended up taking over the kingship of Macedonia immediately. Now, Alexander the Great obviously became the great because he took Philip's plan to conquer the Persians and just put it in the force. Now, he was a pretty good diplomat, but he was able to get like all these conquered lands like on his side. So he took the idea of the Macedonian Empire and just blew it up. Like it, it he had so much success. Like I don't think he knew what to do with this with the success that he had. <laughs> so from this little kingdom, now you're gonna look at this map. There's the little kingdom up here. This is where Macedonia is. It's that little blip right there. Mm-hmm. He took that little thing. 
and stormed all the way to India. Wow. Which is all the way over there. He took over all the Middle East. Egypt. He took over Egypt and brought it into the Macedonian Empire. He had practically most of the Mediterranean coastline under his rule at the height. And he did this all in 12 years. Now, the thing with Alexander is, while he was very successful, very good with people, military genius, ambitious beyond anything, and a scholar beyond He's probably one of the most important military leaders in terms of the preservation of scholarship in the world ever because he was educated by Aristotle, who was educated by Plato, who was educated by uh, Socrates, Socrates. So all those Plato shit, all the Plato shit, probably wouldn't, we wouldn't know about that today if it hadn't been for Alexander because Alexander was preserving it because Aristotle was his tutor. Right. So if, think about it, if honestly, if Alexander the Great would have been successful, there's a good chance we never would have known that Plato existed. Think about that for That's a second. Great. That's Isn't crazy. that crazy to think about? That's crazy. So what ended up happening was he stormed very fast, very quick, all the way to basically India. It's how far his empire stretched. So he conquered Persians, Babylon, all the Middle East, basically, and Egypt, in addition to Greece, Macedonia, Turkey, all that area. Now, what ended up bringing them down were the Arabs, correct? No. Or was it the wasn't the third Persian Empire? What ended up bringing them, them down was themselves. No. Oh. So what ends up happening is Alexander dies at the age of 32. Now, there's rumors that he got poisoned. Nobody really knows how he died. He probably, his body probably shut down because he was drinking pretty hard mm. during the entire time. So that's honestly probably what killed him at the end of the day. But what ended up happening after that is he had a lot of high-ranking generals that were working in different parts of the empire for him. A lot of very loyal generals that were loyal to Alexander, but didn't get along with each other at all. Sure. So pretty quickly after uh, Alexander died. Now Alexander, there's rumors out there too that Alexander's dream for his funeral was instead of funeral games or a big funeral or whatever, he wanted his empire sectioned off between his most loyal men and wanted them to fight over it as a celebration (laughs) of his life. And that's pretty much what happened. So all these generals kind of sectioned off their little chunks of the empire. A lot of them had like Asia and the Persian area. Ptolemy was the most famous one. He had Egypt. And he actually formed his own little kingdom after this for a while. And he held on to Egypt for quite a while. He held on to Egypt until the Romans conquered him years, like centuries later, or his area. But they each kind of had their own little section of land. And then they just kind of went at it, like trying to conquer more and more land, basically. And I personally think that you could do like a Game of Thrones level, like a like a, like a documentary, but like an acted out documentary type thing, just about this, this time in history. Because it's so fucking crazy. And I can't get into the details about it. Sure. But you've got all these people like trying to like position themselves. Like Ptolemy becomes Pharaoh of Egypt to try to like establish himself. You got uh, different generals are trying to marry like Alexander's like his like half sister, just trying to like position themselves in terms of like I'm the real Macedonian ruler, basically. Sure. And they're backstabbing each other. They're going back and forth. They're like forming alliances and then fighting. And that's like one emperor will or one group will kind of like coalesce into something solid. Like the Seleucid Empire became a thing for a while right after this. Then it all falls apart again. And it's it's pretty entertaining, all things considered. So sounds like it. Eventually, this didn't last that long because there was too much infighting, and it. Really was the Roman Empire more so than anybody else that kind of took Macedonia out of the game for good. Now, yes, there was pressure from one of the Persian empires. I can't remember which one it was. Was it the Sassanid Empire? When? When? What were the dates on that one? So this was one of the ones that I was going to bring up. Two twenty four to six fifty one A.D. So they ruled for about four hundred years, and the, the empire was a superpower at the time. Sure. Now that would have been. Now that incorporated all of present day Iran, Iraq, Eastern Arabia, uh, like uh, 
uh, Qatar, uh, Kuwait, sure, uh, Syria, Israel, Palestine, Jordan. They're pretty extensive. Parts of Turkey, Central Asia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, sure, Yemen. That would have been after. Basically, the Macedonian, what was the Macedonian Empire, with the exception of Ptolemy's Egypt, pretty much it all got kind of wrapped up within the hundred years after Alexander died. Well, so this would have been fourth and third century BCE. But what ultimately brought them down was there was this. What was that long seven hundred year war about between the Arabs and the Romans? Because I think at the tail end of that, this the the Sassanid the Sassanid Empire caught the tail end of that. That's basically what brought them down. Sure. And they were they were depleted from it. Not yeah. necessarily that they lost the the wars, but they were just ultimately depleted from fighting. So this would have been you said three hundred to the four hundred eighty. Well, let's just get into the Sassanids real quick because that pretty sure. much wraps up Macedonia. Yeah, two twenty four to six fifty one A D. Okay, so two twenty four A D would have been the height of the Roman Empire. Okay. So to frame it up for the listeners, Macedonia collapses, Rome, the Republic takes over, the Empire forms like fifty BC or something with Caesar, and then Augustus is the first emperor. And Augustus carries us into Tiberius. Then the Roman Empire got stronger and stronger and stronger. And then the Sassanids come in in okay. Arabia. So I mean, that's the majority of the Sassanids. I mean, that's it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you can get into. They're pretty important. Yeah, I mean, as far as Persia as a whole, as far as like inventions and things like that, the Persians were extremely smart. Sure. Do you know the Persians invented the first refrigerator and air conditioning? Really? Yeah, it's pretty. So it's it's called a. See if I can pronounce this correctly it's called a yakshal i think that's how you say that it was a dome structure made of clay which used to store ice but eventually it was used to keep food cold and they invented all kinds of shit the windmill which was also called a wind catcher okay and they would like they would put it at the top of buildings so it would like push cool air down and like kind of suck hot air out to keep sure. their buildings like cool and stuff sure. pretty interesting now what's also interesting with the sassanid empire is that would have been basically than like the new Persian Empire, basically. Sure. Now, people make this mistake, and when you look at history, it, it's kind of like a crazy mistake to make, even though people, most people just don't know better, is that the Persians are not the Arabs. They're a very different group. Mm. And based on history, there's like a lot of conflict between the Arabs and the Persians, because the Arabs come from Saudi Arabia, or that, that western part of the Middle East. The Persians are more focused in what is now Iran. Mm-hmm. So it's very... And when you look at like the modern conflicts of today, there's a lot of tension with that still today. Mm-hmm. It's been going on forever. Yeah. But it, it's kind of important to make that distinction. So the Sassanid Empire would have been Persian, but they wouldn't have been Muslim back then. They would have been in contact and in conflict with the Muslims. It would have fell to the Muslims pretty quickly and it became Islam eventually. But the Persians were not immediately Arabs and they weren't immediately Muslim. Were they in line religiously? Not really. Because the Sassanid Empire more than likely was practicing Zoroastrianism. Okay. Which is a monotheistic religion that's kind of similar ish to Christianity, but not really. Interesting. So, but it is kind of weird, and it, it's important to make that distinction because people don't really. And that book that I'm reading, the the Power and Thrones by Dan Jones, kind of maps that out super well. Mm. How all that kind of comes together because everybody just kind of lumps the Middle East together, which I mean, it's it, not really so complicated. It's very complicated. It's probably why it's so tribal now today. Yeah, it's very complicated, but I guess it's it is important to make that that kind of distinction that Iran, think Persia and Iran 
kind of that's keep that in mind and then like arab and saudi arabia is kind of like two of the major culture centers sure in terms of what comes up later so makes sense anyways anything more with the sassanids no it's basically it with that one so they stood up i think they they were kind of like the big empire to the east of the roman empire during like the height of the roman empire mm. and then I th- it had to have been when the muslims either the umayyad caliphate or one of the caliphates drove east that kind of knocked them out so now going along with that and as an extension of all of that <laughs> we've got another interesting one the byzantine empire have you ever heard of the byzantine empire no go ahead the byzantine empire was not known as the byzantine empire until after it collapsed so the byzantine empire they would have told themselves that they were the roman empire now, I've, i'm sure i've talked about this before on the show as well now the roman empire split into the eastern and western halves in i think the fourth century was the big split between Western Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire. Because when Constantine came into power, and there was debate as to where the capital should be, because power shifted from Rome to Constantinople, to Constantinople, which is present-day Istanbul. Mm-hmm. So when the whole split between the Eastern Roman Empire and the Western Roman Empire happened, which would have been, I think, 395 AD would have be an approximate date for that constantinople became the capital of the eastern roman empire the western roman empire stayed in rome for most of it but then they ended up going to ravenna for a while and a bunch they kind of bounced around in italy but pretty quickly the eastern roman empire became like the real power of of the roman empire the issue with the byzantine empire or the eastern roman empire is it didn't stay very organized very quickly because a lot of different powers popped up the sassanids were one that popped up that put a force on the eastern flank of the empire you had the huns which were coming out of basically nowhere from the north kind of collapsing down you had different things going on in africa that were kind of putting pressure from the south and then eventually the muslims popped up in saudi arabia and were pushing from the south east upwards so there's a lot of shit going on and the byzantine empire should have fallen like 18 different times throughout history but constantinople was very tough to sack now it did get sacked a couple of times it got sacked by the crusaders but the empire stayed around after that but it was kind of like this like it was kind of like a shangri-la of chaos basically is what the the byzantine empire was now the most famous byzantine emperor was justinian the first who is pretty well known and after the fall of the roman empire there were a lot or the western roman empire when rome fell to the visigoths or whoever it was alaric was the person that sacked rome there was a lot of push from the eastern roman empire to bring rome back into the roman empire because as far as they were aware they were still the roman empire sure so it gets really complicated with the byzantines but they kind of had their stretch where they were kind of like they had like a lot of land and then it just kind of got chipped away and chipped away and chipped away and every time they lost land they really couldn't get it back now the byzantine empire actually stayed in existence until 1453 damn in some form or fashion but by then it was just like little chunks of turkey and like little chunks of greece and there wasn't much to it but at one point it covered most of that land it covered in the well into the middle east it covered well south into africa and basically greece was kind of the cutoff between the western roman empire and the eastern roman empire so i'm not going to go crazy with this one but it is really it's really interesting and it's very it's probably why my research turned out to in the the end of the Roman Empire to 1453 and I was like what? Yeah, but it, I mean it fell in 1204 to 
the Crusaders. Like the Crusaders sacked Constantinople, and it's like, but the but the empire is still it still stayed around, and they were able to recapture it in 1261. Now the Byzantines are important though because they preserved a lot of like the Greek culture and the Greek writings and all that shit. So a lot of that exists because the Byzantines were able to preserve it, and they were able to preserve a lot of this shit in some form or fashion. Now Istanbul, I don't know, is, Istanbul's got to be like. If it's not the most important city in world history, it's right up there. Mm-hmm. Like, it's in the top three. Like, Rome, maybe. Like, I feel like Rome and Istanbul, in terms of, like, Western history, at least Western history, are probably the most important cities ever. Yeah. Wouldn't you say so? Because there's yeah, so probably. much. There's so much history. There's so many different clashing cultures in Constantinople. I mean, you can you can, you can can thank Rome for a lot of the culture over here, especially architecturally. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. The Byzantine was mostly a Christian empire, but um, the Great Schism in in 1054 kind of centralized the Eastern Orthodox Church within the Byzantine Empire. And then the Roman Catholic Church was centralized more in Rome, which had, by this point, the Holy Roman Empire, which is not the Roman Empire. Right. It's like, it's an opportunity or an attempt to kind of reclaim the idea of the Roman Empire and centralize it in Rome. But it's more, the Holy Roman Empire is more just like a Catholic thing that they decided to do for fun, basically. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) I hate to to break it down like that, but there's not a whole lot more... There's not a whole lot more going on with it. That's funny. So, but the uh, the Byzantine again. This is, I just want to go back to school and re- learn about some of this shit. <laughs> but like at one point, Justinian had a whole bunch of shenanigans going on, and there was there was a riot at a chariot race that almost collapsed the entire <laughs> the entire empire because it caused such a disturbance in the city that they almost just overthrew everybody, and like Justinian almost had to flee. That's funny. So there's a, there's a <laughs> lot of shit going on, but they ended up living for like it, it lasted almost a thousand uh, over a thousand years it's a long time so if you if you count the roman empire into it that's almost 1500 years of existence if you consider them the the actual roman empire it's just surviving through constantinople so it's one of the longer ones yeah definitely for sure very interesting and they got sacked in 1453 by the ottoman empire the ottoman empire is the one that finally knocked them out by that point they were nothing compared to what they used to be but right still anyways what else you got so this one up next one i'm getting into i don't know if you can consider it an empire probably more of a civilization Sure. But this is the longest lasting civilization. Now, I had the privilege of staying for a week in the same area where these people thrived. We were talking about the Mayan civilization. See, I thought about doing this one, and I'm like, well, I can't do it because Ben can't do it. So, all right, let's hear it. So, the Mayans were one of the most sophisticated civilizations ever to exist. Like I said, the longest civilization to exist from 2000 BC to 1550 AD. Almost 3,500 years these people are around. Sure. And what's incredible is they always call it a lost civilization, the lost Mayan civilization. They're really not lost at all. The still millions of Mayan descendants today throughout the Yucatan Peninsula and also uh, Guatemala, Belize, Honduras, and parts of El Salvador. All uh, total of, they estimate seven to eight million Mayan descendants still live. And I met a lot of them when I was there. There you go. I mean, and you can tell they have, they have certain features on their, like their skulls and like their eyes and stuff. You can tell, you know, who the Mayans are and stuff. It's pretty cool. We should have got them to listen to our podcast. Definitely. So they're not considered an empire because 
like they didn't really expand like an empire would, but they fought amongst themselves most of the time. Sure. They had a lot of diverse cities and they had one king or ruler in each city okay. and they would all fight over each other for territory, resources and shit like that. Sure. They were very smart. They had they had three calendars, three or four calendars really. And our calendar, the Gregorian calendar, I think is what we base our calendar off of. Sure. Is basically based off the Mayan calendar. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't know. Like that. one of them. The Mayan calendar is based off 365 days. Now, everyone, now one of their calendars runs for like thousands of years, right? And you remember when everyone had that doomsday thing that yeah. the, that the, the world's going to end in 2012? The Mayans never predicted that the earth was going to end in 2012. That was just the end of one of their calendars. And then it was just set. It was supposed to reset at that sure. point okay. in the year 2012. So they never thought the world was going to end. Oh, I did. I was positive that it was. <laughs> but they're a well-developed society. They developed their own writing systems and farming methods. Now, when I was there, I went to Chichen Itza, and um, their structures and everything they made is unbelievable. And the tools that they used, so they used uh, a stone called obsidian, which okay. I talked about on one of our past episodes. Yep. And obsidian, you know that little figure yep. I gave you from Mexico? That's yep. made out of obsidian. I was looking at it today, actually. And they made their tools tools out of obsidian they put it on their clothes and everything and obsidian shines gold in the sunlight or yep. any light really sure it's pretty fucking cool and they also invented the concept of the number zero in their mathematics which we use today yes we do they're just like, just like how many playoff games tj Watt has <laughs> shut the fuck <laughs> That was a good one. Anyways. But they had advanced medicine as well for the time. They would they would stitch up sutures using human hair. They had like they had like dentists. Like they would fill teeth. They would like try and line teeth up and shit. It was crazy. One of the reasons why you can kind of tell by the features of the Mayans was it was considered high status to have like elongated heads, right? So mothers would literally press like boards on babies' heads and make their heads like flat and elongated and shit like that. I know you think that's aliens. It could be. It could be aliens. (laughs) It very well could be aliens. And they would use like plants, natural environment as like uh, plants from their natural environment as like painkillers and uh, anesthetics and shit. Now what they would do is... Have you seen Apocalypto, the movie? It's a phenomenal movie. You need to watch it. I can't understand the language that they speak, which is why I haven't watched it yet. Well, it's the Mayan language, but there's subtitles. It's easy. All right. I need to. I need to watch it at some point. Well, anyways, they would take prisoners of war, right? And then they would, you know, sacrifice them and whatnot. And then they would, you know, chop off their head or their heart or whatever. Sure. And they would basically just give them marijuana beforehand to, uh, as like an anesthetic before they did that. If it works, it works. Oh, yeah. They develop all kinds of sports, which we mentioned the sport of pak to pak. Yeah, where they got to elbow the thing in. Yep. And uh, we mentioned that on our uh, ancient sports episode. Yeah, that's a good should, episode. You guys should check, definitely go back and check out. Episode 29, was it? Something like that. Ancient sports. So, yeah, man, the Mayan civilization, they were great. Oh, yeah, definitely. Very influential. I didn't realize how centralized they were on the Yucatan Peninsula. Like, I know yep. they spread out farther than that, but they I always kind of thought they were, like, more, like, in like, South America. But They were. They had, all those cities were spread out everywhere. Sure. But they were still basically around when the Spanish were showing up, weren't they? Well, that was their demise, was yeah. the Spanish. And the Spanish were, they couldn't believe it when, at the tail end of the Spanish coming in, they showed up to Tulum which I didn't get to go through Tulum, but I drove past Tulum. Sure. They couldn't believe how populated it was. 
and yeah. how and how advanced they were and everything else. Well, the Spanish brought over, you know, disease and everything. That's basically how they all died out. Yeah. From that area. But yeah, if you guys ever get a chance to go to Mexico, the Yucatan Peninsula, yep. it's awesome. Definitely. Definitely check it out. Go to Chichen Itza, Tulum. And if you go there, please tweet us at thirty in law and yes. send us some pictures and tell us all about it. I'm I might post some pictures of Chichen Itza on our trip on the Facebook page. Yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. Oh yeah. Anyways, that's great. Now my biggest issue real quick is I always get confused because you got the Maya, you got the Aztecs, and you got the Inca. I didn't realize they were kind of all there at the same time. The Aztec were, the majority, they were more after yeah. the Mayans, I'm pretty sure. But they were still kind of, they were still kind of sure. all sort of similar, kind of there at the similar times. Mm-hmm. So I always thought it was kind of like one led to the next and led to the next. But And I, I think why they stayed in that area has a lot to do with the cenotes that are there, which they're like underground like springs almost sure and they're all connected and there's thousands of them throughout okay. the peninsula and through uh uh you know honduras and el salvador and all of them they're all connected sure it's absolutely crazy and that's how they were able to uh get fresh water and like bathe and shit and uh, oh, need all do, that, do their so. farming and everything like that so definitely fresh water is the key I got to jump in them and swim in caves and stuff. It was awesome. That's pretty awesome. That yeah, was pretty sweet. Could, I don't know if I can be trusted to do that, but... No, you can do it. Anyways, I'm going to got one more real quick, but I'm going to try to wrap this up quickly. Sure, go ahead. Have you ever heard of the Carolingian Empire? Mm-mm. We've been talking about all day the fucking Holy Roman Empire, which has been confusing <laughs> the hell out of our listeners probably by now. That's fine. The Holy Roman Empire basically started with this Carolingian Empire. Now, we have talked about this in bits and pieces throughout different episodes of the podcast. We've kind of bullshitted about it. Mostly me bullshitting about it without really knowing what I'm talking about. But I kind of do know what I'm talking about now because I was doing some reading. So, we're going to start in the 8th century A.D., Pepin the Short was a Frankish ruler. He was a son of Charles Martel, who was kind of like like the king of the France, like the like the France the French patriarch, basically. If you go back to the time of the Franks, basically, Pepin the Short kind of solidified himself as a Frankish king. He gave birth to a son, Carulus, aka Charlemagne. Charlemagne was born in the eighth century A.D. and was kind of infatuated with the idea of the Pope. The Pope came to visit when he was a really little kid, and it was a really big deal. He always kind of had like a reverence towards the papacy and towards the Vatican. So when Charlemagne became king and there was a long struggle in France because Europe was kind of chaotic after the fall of the Roman Empire. Now this would only be 300 years after the fall of the Western Roman Empire, but it's kind of like like a chaos zone basically. When Charlemagne became king, he was able to kind of create the Vatican state and kind of like section off like mm. the Vatican and it like a chunk of the Rome and Italy as its own little independent whatever and was able to do enough to pretty much protect the Pope. Mm. Or so he kind of thought. Now one of these popes who was named Pope Leo III was Pope in the year 800. Now before then he got into some shit. I don't know what the hell happened, but he got jumped basically. <laughs> he was out on the streets and got the shit beat out of him. Like and then he was in prison for a while. They ended up freeing him, but it's like he was supposed to die. Like he got the fuck. Like he got blinded. Now did this happen while he was Pope? Yes. Are you fucking kidding? Yeah. And it's a long story, but basically he got the shit beat out of him and like the papacy was like in danger at this time. He ran to the strongest person he knew in the area who was Charlemagne. Charlemagne was the king of the France. So, like there was a bunch of little kingdoms, but he was kind of like the strongest one. So Charlemagne protected him and saved him and whatever and nursed him back to health. And he ended up regaining his sight and lived for a while after that. And then in the year 800, he was like, he was back at the Vatican and all this shit. And he was like, hey, Charlemagne, come down to the Vatican. I want to host you or whatever. Now, at this point, Charlemagne was like the most 
powerful king in the area, but he wasn't the only one because he only had like a, section of, a section of France, but there's other like little people running around who sure. had some power. So when Charlemagne shows up, the Pope ran, rode out 12 miles to greet him and walked him into the city and there's a whole big like fanfare and all this shit. And on Christmas Day of the year 800, there was a big mass and all this shit, a big ceremony. And during all that, the Pope crowned Charlemagne as Emperor and Augustus and created <laughs> basically what they declared was a new Roman Empire. They wanted to bring back the idea of Imperium to Western Europe. And they wanted it centralized with the Pope in Italy, but they wanted to make Charlemagne the Roman Empire. Basically, they wanted to restore the Roman Empire. Sure. Is what they were trying to do. So did Charlemagne know what he was walking into? Or did there he, are, did he... <laughs> There are debates about it. Dan Jones... And the book that I'm reading says, yes, Charlemagne knew he wouldn't have signed on for all this shit. But there are some people that kind of write it into him just kind of walking in. <laughs> Do you imagine? You walk in. There's... Like, Emperor and Augustus. Charlemagne. Carolus Rex. All that shit. <laughs> it's hilarious. So, obviously, Charlemagne, this guy, if there was ever anybody that was fucking chosen by heaven that was born to rule, it was this motherfucker. <laughs> like... He was completely on top of the shit the entire time. Like, he was in his, like, late 40s when this whole thing happened. But he had been consolidating power since he was a kid, basically. Now, a few things broke his way. A couple of his brothers died at the right time, basically, to kind of solidify everything under him. Because the Frankish tradition said that when the king dies, the king is supposed to divide up his lands amongst all his sons. There wasn't a tradition of one heir. It was divided up. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, when you do that, you're never going to have peace after that. Never. Because there's always going to be one brother that got slighted <laughs> that wants this little bit, and there's always going to be war happening after that. But there was always an idea within these fucking people that they could bring it all back together that, oh, my sons are going to be different. They're going to live in peace and harmony. Nope. So what ended up happening was Charlemagne was basically crowned the Holy Roman Empire emperor, but not really because that the institution didn't really exist until a few hundred years after this. But this is where the idea kind of started. So what ended up happening was this Carolingian Empire. Now, Charlemagne had that issue after he died where he didn't really, there wasn't a true line of succession. So he passed it on to some sons who passed it on to some more sons, yada, yada, yada. There was a lot of infighting. There was always like kind of one at the top, but there was also a lot of like co-kingship going on. The one asshole, and I'm not going to get into the details, but the one asshole got overthrown by his son, but his son kept him around <laughs> as like a prisoner. And then eventually his son ended up dying. So he became the emperor again after this. <laughs> There's a lot of that type of shit going on. Jesus. Now, it really, it didn't last until, it only lasted until 888. Now, Charlemagne's one grandson was Charles the Bald, who all historical records say was not bald. <laughs> but the, but the, name, the name is dated to that time. Like, they were calling him that. Charles the Bald. They don't know why. <laughs> like, when you look at the Latin translation, it's literally Charles the Bald. That's funny. Now, they think he was exceptionally hairy, so I think it might have been an ironic joke. Makes sense. Now, he got into it with the Vikings quite a bit. Like, he had some issues going on. And he was kind of like the last, like, real person that had it all together. And then it started to fall apart pretty quickly. Now, this is only, like, 40... This isn't really not even that long, like, 30 years after Charlemagne died. It went to shit that quickly because they kept getting sectioned off and all that shit. But the last person who had it all united in the 880s AD was Charlemagne's great-great-grandson or great-grandson who was Charles the Fat. <laughs> who was uh, probably skinny. <laughs> he actually, he, he okay, probably was, was pretty 
because <laughs> he had a lot of health issues going on, and he had epilepsy and all this shit. He had a whole bunch of problems going on. Oh, boy. But he was able to, like, reunite all of Charlemagne's land for, like, a minute. Then he ended up dying, and then it all went to hell after that. Mm-hmm. But the Carolingian Empire, it's pretty comedic. It is heavily romanticized in European history, but they didn't really do a whole lot. It's basically Charlemagne gets crowned emperor by the Pope who we may or may not have been in on it, we don't know. And that's the height of it. Like, that's the best thing that happened. After that, it all kind of went to shit. So, <laughs> Anyways, it is pretty interesting. They, I mean, they did conquer a little bit of land, but um, there's a bunch of Louis. There's like Louis the First, Louis the Second, a bunch of those guys running around. So, anyways, that's all I got with that. Real quick before we wrap this up, we got to talk about the Galactic Empire. Yes, I was going to do that one. <laughs> 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 Fucking... Palpatine. Fucking Palpatine. He really made it happen. Now, that only lasts, what, 25 years? Yeah, not, yeah, not very long. If you look at the math, like, Darth Vader was in his 40s when he died. <laughs> <laughs> and Palpatine would not have been that much older. He would have been, like, in his 70s. Yeah. Well, too bad he just didn't have the high ground. Yeah. yeah. You gotta have that fucking high ground. <laughs> Anyways, do you have anything Anyways, more with this nah, episode? I, I, that's basically it. I think that was actually a pretty fun discussion. It's gonna be a challenge to edit. You want me to do this one? No. I, I, I think I'll, I'll take this one on. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you have anything else today, Ben? Nope, I'm basically all set. The listeners have been all right. I do think the last episode came together pretty well. The last episode was great. I enjoyed I it. I thought that was one. That one, it really, and it only took me about two and a half hours to do. It there didn't you take go. that long. Pretty quick. But I thought that was a good, I thought it was a very good episode, honestly. Miles Garrett, obviously, is a little bit better than TJ Watt, and he proved it this weekend. But I don't know about all that. He had one and a half sacks against the GOAT, so. I mean, Pittsburgh beat the Buccaneers by 10 points. 9% of all sacks that Tom Brady gave up or has taken this year have come from Miles Garrett. So he had one and a half. That's pretty good. That's rough. He was, Tom Brady was the least sacked starting quarterback this year. So yeah, they have good plat, pass blocking, but they can't run the ball for shit. No, they can't. Yeah, it's pissed me off because Leonard Fournette ain't doing shit in fantasy. Why would you? For, yeah, I don't. Know I haven't why. started him the last four weeks. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good with Devontae Adams and Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts has been my hero. So Yeah, I lost. Uh, I think Josh is going to win. Josh is running away with it. He's killing it. He my, my guys have just been doing terrible the last three weeks. Yeah. Anyways, on that note, uh, thank you guys for listening. Please tweet us at 30 in the. Please check us out on Facebook. If you know about any empires we got to talk about, please tweet us. I feel like we do a lot with this episode. Now, the history <laughs> is kind of dense. You could have run 20 episodes on this. Yeah, it is pretty <laughs> dense. I was going to talk about the British Empire. I didn't even. I didn't even. Couldn't even get there. So you need, you could do five episodes on each one of these empires. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. There's a lot of dense history out there. I think like it is important to learn about though. It kind of helps your like cultural understanding a little bit. Definitely. So please tweet us. Please like us on Facebook. Please share us with all your friends. Please tell everybody you know about it. Please make them listen. Holidays are coming up. What better way to celebrate the holidays than make your family listen to? 4.30 in the morning. Definitely. Uh, and we talked about that on the last episode. we got to keep that going. And make them listen to it. Yes, definitely make them listen to it. I would say if you're going to get somebody like a tablet or a, an iPod or whatever people are buying these days, a Nintendo, upload the show on the device before you give it to them as a gift. Definitely. That way it's right there. They just got to hit a button and it's good to go. Definitely. So anyways, on that note, I think we're going to get the hell out of here, guys. So thank you very much for listening. Peace. The thing with Larry Ogunjobi is the things that he's good at, it's very scheme. God. It's very, I can't say it. Scheme? 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 Scheme. Yeah. Scheme. It's very scheme specific. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, he's a very scheme oriented player. Yeah, certain packages and stuff.
It was discovered by researchers who were searching for surplus ammunition and explosives previously dumped in the lake. Because of this freshwater lake, the wood is in... Cut! That's really written weirdly. Cut! Because this is a freshwater lake, the wood in such a ship is preserved. Norwegian University of Science and Technology... Cut! Jesus Christ. Norwegian University of Science and Technology Marine Archaeologist Oyvind Odegaard told Science Norway. Cut! I'm not going to lie. This is not the first time we've talked about marine archaeologists on this podcast. <laughs> and every time it's always been possible to pronounce Dude, name. Look, look, at, look at this name. That's like in fucking like That's the, like the Gaelic the, symbols. Uh, yeah. Of... I'm just going to restart this paragraph. Okay. Because this is a freshwater lake. On my, on my first one. Now this one comes from our favorite Fox News. <laughs> I don't know if that is our favorite or not, but we're going to go with it. And this one, I got it. You might, uh, you know what, I'm going to, cut. <laughs> I got to pull a picture up because this news story. So we're going to start in the 8th century AD. Pepin the, cut. Peppa the pig? Pepin the Short, not ah, Peppa the Pig, close. was a Frankish ruler. He was a son of Charles Martel, who was kind of like 